Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of the Loading Screen Podcast. Today's guest is George Royer of Whitewell Games. George and I talk a bit about his background in video games growing up, board games as well. Uh, then we go into White Whale Games' uh, releases like God of Blades and Monstro Cards, which is a mashup of uh, Pictionary and almost Cards Against Humanity. Uh, we talk a bit about that and uh, it's a super fun game. You should check it out. Super hilarious. That should be on available on Amazon soon. Uh, we also talk a bit about Bloodborne and just chat about random games and stuff. Um, you can contact George on Twitter with, at George Royer for questions and comments for me. You can contact me on Twitter at Sam Palavon. Uh, this is a shorter episode, so yeah, enjoy it. Were you... When were you originally born? Because I remember you were not yeah. from Austin. No, I was born in Huntsville, Alabama, which is uh, North Alabama, not too far from Tennessee. It's where the Space and Rocket Center is. Wait, did you grow up in like a pretty rural area? No, no. Um, kind of a, you know, it's not a huge town, but it's not a small town. I think most I mean, people... Just kind of a neighborhood. Near Alabama. Yeah, actually. Like There's a lot of rural. Same thing with Texas. Sure. A lot of rural areas there, but I never lived in one of them. What was sort of your first uh, experience with video games or games? Um, I think the earliest I can remember is that my parents bought an Apple IIe, and it had a disc of games on it. And I'm how old I was, young, five maybe, and maybe even younger. But uh, it had like a lemonade stand simulator on it called Lemonade that was I thought was awesome, and it, we had another like floppy disk of games. It had a game called Subnodule, and that was a pretty sweet game. And then it had Defender on it. Do you remember Defender? With a, it's a spaceship game. Yeah, you would fly really fast and like circle around the levels and the little aliens would be like picking up people and trying to take them away and you had yeah to I think so really awesome so I had that and I had a little joystick but apparently my brother just went home a couple weekends ago and turned on the machine it still works the games still work on it which is cool those were some of the first games you played yeah those are the first video games I played that I can remember and then I remember seeing Top Gun, Super Mario Brothers on the NES for the first time. We had an NES and played a lot of games on that. So I've been on, playing games has been like a big part of my life, mm -hmm. like literally all my life. So, uh, and not just video games. I love all kinds of games. Did you play a lot of board games too? Or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love board games. What kind of games? Uh, like growing up, just like the normal stuff, like Monopoly and um, chess and stuff like that. I um, was a really big fan of um, Stratego. Uh, have you ever played that? Sort of like Risk? Not really. It's sort of like a weird, sort of like a weird version of Checkers or something where 
my dad grew up in Aruba and he played it there and we, he taught us to play it on his old set and it was, mm -hmm. it's a great brilliant design it's where you have um you have lots of little different kinds of pieces that do different kind of things but you have they're almost like different classes like you have miners and bombs and stuff that you place and you line them up and then um certain ones can move in certain ways and you from the opponent's side, all they see are the backs of your pieces, so they don't know who's what, mm. and they have to like sort of probe your defenses and cool. stuff. It's really good. We used to play that a lot. Um, at the time, were you thinking about uh, like making games at all? Oh yeah, it? I mean, I've always been thinking about making games. I made a couple of games on my Apple IIe. Mm -hmm. um, one was like a game where you tried to guess the XY coordinates of a pixel <laughs> was not a particularly good game. And then I made another game called X-Math where the, you're at the X-Men's mansion and supervillains show up and ask you math problems. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, they get progressively harder. <laughs> and then like is Magneto, like the last yeah. guy he has like the He makes question. you do division or something <laughs> like that. Um, so yeah, I did that. And then I used to like, draw out levels and character designs and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, I had a game called, I've been looking for this thing for years. It's called like LA SWAT. It was about how crime was so bad in the future that they fired all the police. And, <laughs> um, the, all the characters were ninjas with badges and the, I remember the first boss was like a guy who was motorcycle from the waist down and had chainsaw <laughs> arms. And so I drew all the design stuff for that up and I found Konami of America's mailing address and I was going to mail it to them, but yeah. I couldn't part with it. <laughs> so I was too attached to it, but I don't, I don't know where it is. I've been looking for that. What system was that for? The NES. Okay. So, and then, um, when Doom came around, that was like, a real eye opener. I was just like, "Oh my gosh, it's so crazy and immersive." And I um, bought a big book. It was like, I don't remember how big it was, like several hundred pages, probably about how to make your own wads. And mm -hmm. so I made some Doom levels, and then I also did some Quake levels. And I made uh, an early Team Fortress two or Team not Team Fortress two. Early Team Fortress level back when it was just still Quake mm. mod, it wasn't particularly popular level or anything like that. But were you doing all this stuff by yourself? Yeah, I didn't have any technical people. Were you just like messing around and learning? Yeah, about it that way. Yeah, uh -huh. through books and mm -hmm. initially through books, but then internet came on me. Uh, but yeah, that was just sort of like scripting and doing stuff like that. I didn't have a whole lot of tools to work with except like the free editing right. tools that you could get and stuff like that. Uh, did you think about like games as a career at one point? No, I never really did at, um, for a long time. Uh, I studied uh, literature in college, 
and then, you know, went to college on time, finished on time, on time being, you know, 18 to 21 or something mm-hmm. like that, and then went directly into uh, law school. Uh, Why did you choose law school? Oh, because, you know, I was, you know, 21 and going to be graduating and no idea what I would do with an English degree. So I figured, you know, take the LSAT and mm-hmm. see how see how that goes. And uh, Alabama has a a really good state law school. Uh, it's like number, I don't know what it is now, 30, 32 or something like that in the country. And much better, much higher in the South, particularly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of grew up around lawyers and stuff like that, so. So I took the LSAT and I did well enough to get accepted, so it wasn't too expensive to go and figured, you know, what else am I going to do? Right. So I went and finished when I was 20, I think I finished when I was 25 and started practicing in Birmingham. I did that for a couple of years. Were you still like playing games this whole time? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, sure. I uh, always have been playing games. Mm-hmm. I used to play. I used to play a lot of online games back then. Like I, I used to play World uh, of Warcraft with some friends from college and my brother and stuff. That's fun. I never was super into the high end stuff, like in game rating and yeah, doing any of that. Yeah, it's just I just kind of like exploring. Yeah, so it was fun. So, but I can't really play those kind of games anymore. They just they take up too much time. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the design. So you don't think Bloodborne takes up too much time? I think that <laughs> Bloodborne will end. You know? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, those kind of games. End. Yeah, don't know. Those kind of games are more about your social sort of web. Um. So when did you move here? I moved here in two in two thousand eight to go to do my master's at UT. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out here because well, one I thought it'd be interesting to live in Austin because there's interesting stuff that goes on here, but also because I was really interested in archives and preservation, and we have one of the best programs in the country for that here. So I initially came out here to do film preservation mm-hmm. work. And, uh, is it just like general preservation of stuff? Or no, I mean I was like working with film, with old movies, and okay, stuff like that. And uh, I've always had a thing for like old media. And uh, I've worked in. Let's see, I worked at the Texas Archive, the Moving Image. That's where I was trained mm-hmm. on how to do that. And then I worked at some at the Harry Ransom Center in their film. Area. And then I worked at the Academy in LA. And then I worked at CNN. Um, so, too. so I did a bunch of stuff with media and stuff like that. And then. Was I, there like a favorite thing you preserved? Or? Well, you know, I was. I'm not like a lab tech or anything. So I was mostly doing cleaning and rehousing and cataloging mm. and this kind of stuff. I mean, I got to. The Harry Ransom Center has Robert De Niro's collection, like his personal collection. So I got to um, 
rehab. I got to put his copy of Brazil on 35 millimeter into its archival housing, which was yeah, really cool. So yeah. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, so, yeah, you run into all kinds of cool, crazy stuff in, in film archives. I love that. I love film. I'm a lifelong film dork as well. So, cool. Yeah. Uh, and as you know, time went on, I got more and more interested in um, the digital side of archives and preservation, and then that led me into being interested in design, mm-hmm. sort of systems design and stuff like that. And uh, you know, that sort of led me around the current research area that I'm in. And then, you know, always, of course, games were a big thing for me. When did you sort of, did White Whale games form before you came into the Austin scene? Or was like, no. Uh, White Whale well was started, I believe, in 2011 okay. by me and Jason. Um, we become fast friends, and um, I love talking about games with him because. He's very thoughtful about it, and um, it's not. I didn't know any of the Legos people mm-hmm. then. Was it formal? I don't know. I think I went to one of the, like the third or fourth Legos is where I met people. But uh, so I just enjoyed talking and stuff about him. And then, um, you know, his contract was up at Bioware, and we talked about maybe working on something together. And, it's like, well, you know, we're going to actually ever try to do something like this. Now's the time. And so I just sort of started doing stuff. And then uh, Joe joined up with us. Mm-hmm. And then through... Uh, How did y'all meet Joe? Like, I went to school with Joe. Huh? I had classes. At your team? Uh-huh. Huh. Joe went through the same master's program I did. So she knows law stuff? So. No, oh, no, film uh, she knows information stuff. Yeah. It's uh, the school of information. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we've been friends like, for a while. No, exactly. Exactly. And then she also interested. Mm-hmm. And so um, she's really good at a lot of things. So it made a lot of sense to mm-hmm. have her come on board. But we did not really know what we were doing. We started and we didn't really have anyone to show us what to do or how to do. Right any of this stuff. I'd never been formally trained in, in any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had sort of general knowledge around the area, I guess you could say. Just kind of figuring it out as we went along. What was some of the first stuff that you guys worked on? Do you remember? God of Blades. Was that? Yeah. Okay. How did that start? Like, the brewing of that? Oh, yeah. did that start? <laughs> I think... You know, one of the things that Jason and I originally became friends over was our our mutual love of old weird pulp stories and weird old fantasy art mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, you know, we realized nobody had ever really made. I mean, that's not true. There were there are games that sort of channeled that vibe, but not many. Right. And um, we we thought it'd be cool to to see what we could do with that concept. Things are a little fuzzy. It's a, that was a while ago. Yeah. So the games, I guess to 
pared down. Mm-hmm. Sort of like an infinite runner, but you're wielding it's, this blade. I, yeah, I actually think it's like more of a rhythm-based brawler that looks yeah. like an auto-runner. That's mm-hmm. like a super streamed-down technical fighting game. Is it level-based? It's not like infinite, right? Or is it? Uh, it is, okay. and it is level-based. It has infinite modes oh, okay. and different kinds of them. And then a story mm-hmm. mode as well. So, uh, yeah. What was that experience of like making your first commercial game like? Was Crazy. It? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I was going to school yeah. full time and working mm-hmm. for the school and stuff too. What kind of stuff were you doing on the game? Just like. Uh, I was a designer mm-hmm. and a writer. And when you're on a tiny team, like, Boundaries get pretty fuzzy. Mm-hmm. I did some of the art, but not you know most of that art is, is Jason's. Okay. Um, like ninety nine point eight percent of it, or something like that. But I did some concept stuff, and I painted some of the book covers that we used in the game, and then I did like a couple little sculptures that were used in there too. But then I sort of put the gates there. Um, but I did a lot of like game concept mm-hmm. stuff, and um, how long was that in development? It was actually produced fairly quickly. I feel like we worked on that for like a little more than a year and a half. Okay, um, it's it's hard to say like what what I did. I mean, I know I did the writing and level design and mm-hmm. stuff like that but at the same time like everybody was all working on it so yeah. it's like it's more of a melting pot of stuff but I know I didn't program it right. and I know I didn't do the music mm-hmm. so that was actually done by another guy that Joe and I went to grad school with real cool dude so what was uh what are some of the books that was that it was influenced by? Oh, uh, sure. Like all the old, like nineteen twenties through thirties, forties, weird pulp stuff, like the Robert Howard stuff, mm-hmm. the Lovecraft stuff, um, and then some of the people that came along after some of that stuff, like um, Michael Moorcock's Elric stuff. Um, but the you know the most interesting thing about that game is that it's not really I mean it is about swords and sword fighting and stuff like that but it's also about sort of cultural decay and what happened to this aesthetic and mm-hmm. what did it why why do we care about it right and stuff. And trying to get it all that kind of stuff indirectly and that's why we had the library feature in there so. yeah how did that library feature working so uh, it bounced off Foursquare to see if you mm-hmm. were in a library and if you were then uh, it would give you special rewards okay. the idea was that you know these memories are disappearing from this world so you encouraged to go out and look for places and memories and stories in mm-hmm. the real world yeah people were pretty into it I think cool did you receive any Comments about that specifically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and saw a lot of people talking about it and that kind of stuff. And, you know, a lot of 
people learned where their local libraries were. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, not everyone was into it. Some people were like, I don't want to go to the library. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, you know, we wanted to do something like this instead of like, that seemed cooler to us than like charging people a dollar for extra stuff. And it's not like a required thing, right? No. Yeah. There's no leveling of any of the weapons or anything like that. There's only the leveling of the player's skill, which is a nod to like Monster Hunter and Dark Souls and stuff. Where, although you you do level weapons Mm -hmm. and that, but what the real determinant is your your skill. Right. How much you've learned. So that's when you guys sort of came into Wagos and stuff, because I remember seeing it at certain... Yeah. Um, yeah, we started going to that with a very early prototype of of Godblades and just trying to get to know people around here and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And that was one of the best decisions I've made in this town. Made a lot of friends that way. Met a lot of interesting people. A lot of people in the community were really generous with their time and gave us good feedback and support and that kind of stuff. And the game wouldn't be wouldn't have been half of what it was without the community that helped us out. Mm-hmm. That's why I always try to if anyone ever asks me to help them their project and get my opinion and that stuff, I always try to make time. Mm-hmm. For it. Uh, how did it feel when the game was released and stuff? Weird. Yeah. I mean, this thing that goes from like your head to your computer to like other computers all over the world. And I don't know. It was like, you know, when it went live, it was like, it was cool, but it was also like, you know, there weren't fireworks or anything. Right. It was just like, yeah. now this has gone up. Yeah, the world. It's a thing on a store. Yeah, it's a thing on the store. But I don't know. I mean, it was. I felt as proud of that as anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. So, wouldn't, wouldn't trade having done that for anything. Cool. Um. So after that, you guys also made like a frog psychic frog game. Oh was that? yeah, forgot about <laughs> psychic frog. Yeah, we um we put that together. Like over like three or four days, me and Adrian mm-hmm. uh, did. I think Jason was out of town somewhere, and he came in on like the last day and and made some art look a lot better or something like that. That was really blurry. Uh, that was like a was it a game jam game or was it? Yeah, I think it was for like some kind of like make a thing in Unity uh. jam and. <laughs> Adrian, it was, like, it was like a two-week thing, and Adrian, I seem to be, seem to remember Adrian telling me like a week into it that we should do this, and I was like, okay. So we just sat down and just, I thought it would be funny if, you know, you played a psychic frog who was like trying to use their abilities to escape from um, like a 1960s style James Bond kind of super villain organization, but mm-hmm. like with guys like, you know, the guys in the jumpsuits, like, clearly on, like, coffee and cigarette breaks because you're, like, throwing their mugs at them and stuff like that. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I, I really like that little game. Actually, I forgot about that. Uh, and you also made a game, I think, with Damien. Yeah. About, um, for Fantastic. For Fantastic Arcade. Yeah. Starphonics. Uh, yeah, I had remarked. He had asked if anyone was making, you know, was doing stuff, and I had remarked that you should make a um, game where you negotiate with aliens through a meaty synthesizer type thing and then he texted me or something he was like are you serious I was like no are you it's a guess I was like okay I'll do it with you so we did it over the weekend and like um it drew out you know how the stuff was gonna work and Damien was amazing to work with and um I did the visuals for that too and um and Damien did all the impressive stuff, I feel. He built uh, some kind of oscillator in there and he did really interesting things with uh, the sound programming. He's really good at that. And I sort of wanted, you know, my design inspiration for that was sort of the, the moment at the very beginning of Alien where the SOS is picked up and you just have that empty helmet. Do you remember that? that yeah, sound? yeah. And you see the text, like, yeah, coming out in mm-hmm. a crunchy sort of way, but it's reflected in the helmet. Right. I wanted that sort of like, when did you feel like you were looking through like a curved probe camera lens and like mm-hmm. seeing what it sort of said? Um, the funny thing is I can't beat that game because I can't really hear tones oh. very well. Or uh, So a lot of people, especially people who are musicians, um, who are actually trained musicians are really good at it and they can play it i've seen people play it with their eyes closed without the help from the ui wow but i can't do that yeah so cool yeah no i really i'm really happy with how that turned out you know i mean you never know if you're gonna have something cool right come out of the game i mean how long was that only a couple days right like we didn't even work for two days on it maybe Like thirty six hours or something, mm-hmm. if that. We we're not all night or anything. Just right, a couple evenings of stuff. I think Damien's time on it was more intensive than mine because mm-hmm. he coded it. Right. Um, I guess moving on after that, how did uh, Monstro Cards? Yeah, so uh, Monstro Cards is kind of came from an older concept. Um, I used to play with friends, and uh, it's always been one of my favorite games, but um, I always kind of wanted to do something with it, but there was a lot of work between where it was and where it would need to be to be able to go in a box and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, so it was spent spare time on that. I guess what's the general premise of uh, the general premise is that it's sort of a creativity-based party game. It's uh, where you you use prompts to create uh, a deck of weird cards that are actually just weird drawings that you've made, and you shuffle them up, and you end up having to play your drawings against other people's drawings and use a voting-style mechanic. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I've been playing that game for years and years and years, and I'm still not tired of it. So mm-hmm. that 
to me is the sign that it's, it's a good thing. And so, but we had to do a lot of, a lot of redesign and testing with that to get it to the point where the experiences that people would have with it would, I felt would be enough like if I was sitting there with mm-hmm. them, sort of coaching them through how to play. And so that, you know, I learned it's not very easy to do that. It takes right. a lot of time. What were some of the issues you ran into? I mean, just, you know, writing out rules for stuff like that is, yeah. is very tricky because it's so easy to get people confused about what's going on. And, uh, and I, we had to do, we had to do a lot of testing sessions where people would read through, iterate, you know, various iterations of the rules and watch them try to enact what they were reading and mm-hmm. just show you where all the sort of holes were right. and what you were doing and that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's tough to design a system that's like loose and fluid, but also rigid enough to yeah. like not break. So finding that um, took a while, but I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah, there's this, it's like this great mix of creativity and like humor. Well, sort of, there's like a little bit of strategy because you're trying to one up each other each time. Yeah, and there's sort of strategy on whether or not you'll try to vote and force a flash round and right. risk having something else possibly worse come out at you. Um, but it's, you know, the game is, is really more about the sort of shared. Uh, creative experience than it is about winning necessarily. Um, I found that we would look at the scoreboard and then like the judges would vote on a tiebreaker just to like uh mess with the score. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all sort of part of it too. But um, my favorite thing about that game was probably that I've seen it show people that feel like they're not that they're not creative and they can't be funny, I feel like it shows them that, oh, oh, yes, you can. Right. And a lot of times the people that are like, oh, I can't make anything good are the ones that wipe the floor with everyone, mm-hmm. which is always good to see that. So, what are some of your favorite monster cards? Oh, uh, there's so many over the years. I feel like I have new favorite ones all the time. Um uh, I really like Charles's one from Fantastic Arcade that was the cowboy inside every man's heart. <laughs> it's really good. What were the words? Uh, that was a free play. Oh, okay. I think. Um, I really like uh, a card that Wiley Wiggins did called Sh- that was his shameless habit. That was a guy um, having sex with a beehive. <laughs> Uh, it, was, it was a really good drawing, and I, I, I don't know. It was just really simple, but it really, it was really good. Uh, there's just so many. How'd you go about picking like the adjectives and the words? And um, so I tried to reflect on the kinds of like the kinds of things that people used to make and distill out the, without getting too too concrete the kinds of categories that would lead to those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I just, I kind of work backwards from memory. Okay. So. 
And you guys had a Kickstarter for it that was funded. What was that? Yeah. Um, Kickstarter went well. We were overfunded, which was good. Um, we shot a cute little promo spot for it that uh, Colin Gray and Meg Malloy did. Uh, and Kickstarter was nice enough to put us in one of the newsletters, which was exciting. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of people that I probably never meet have it now, which mm-hmm. is exciting. Yeah. Was it very different from making a digital game? Then? Yeah, I mean, totally different. Well, not totally different, but different enough to be a different kind of thing. I mean, it's harder in some ways because you've got a you've got another layer of problems to think about in the of a practical nature, and those are things like manufacturing and shipping and dealing with inventory and this this kind of stuff. Like, um, and Joe's done a good job um, doing all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, as far as what other challenges are ahead with that, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it does, and if we end up doing another run mm-hmm. of it. But you know. If you want to sell more copies of your game, video game, like that's pretty easy. Right. It's just more downloads, but if you need more things manufactured and shipped and all that, becomes a bit more of a hassle. And we don't really know anybody really well that has done that on a scale. Mm-hmm. Any real scale before, so it's kind of learning experience for us there too. Is the game going to have? I know you released it to the Kickstarter backers, but is it going to have a commercial release? Like on, mm-hmm. it will be available on Amazon uh, pretty soon. Okay, so is that basically like you create a bulk amount and then once yeah. that runs out, okay. mm-hmm. it's in some warehouse on Amazon? Yes, okay. somewhere in Kentucky or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Um, so I guess what are you up to now? Um, well. Just working on promoting that and uh, working on PhD stuff. And um, I'm not sure what project is next. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't given that a whole lot of thought yet. It seems like you kind of just, well, I guess that didn't happen in lots of regards, but you kind of just go with the flow. I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, I have less availability. Yeah, this isn't what I do full time mm-hmm. So um I guess I just sort of wait for an idea to really jump out at me that I really feel like I need to pursue. Right. Um, and right now, um still sort of working on monster cards and may do expansions and stuff like that. Right? Would you wanna do this full time? Yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's not really why I do it, then. right? But um, I say that, but it's tough to make a it's tough to make a living in this industry. It's a very unstable place, right? Um, so I don't, I don't know. Actually, I know I like making games. Mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna do that for as long as I live in some way. You think? I know your PhD is not not for teaching game stuff, but would you want to teach game stuff? I never thought about that, actually. Um, I don't know. 
pretty cool. Maybe. Do they let you do that? They just like get a PhD, teach whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my academic work and my game work are, don't entirely overlap. Right. So. You think that's better that it's kind of yeah, two separate worlds? I know. They're not entirely separate, but they're not one and the same either. Mm-hmm. This is, I know about a lot of other kinds of stuff too, which I think is probably good. Is there anything you want to talk about? Talk about Bloodborne. Oh, Bloodborne. <laughs> it's really good. That is a tight piece of design. You played the last, you played the other Souls games. Didn't you? I did, but I never got all that far into them okay. um, before getting kind of discouraged or something would come up and I'd forget what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, and where I had and had not been. But I, something about Bloodborne is just much tighter for me. Um, and, you know, it pulls a lot from Lovecraft and weird fiction stuff, which I just eat up. Yeah. So I'm much more interested in that than I am in sort of generic. Well, I wouldn't say they're setting this generic fantasy setting, but it's kind of more traditional dark fantasy. Bloodborne seems like it's more, I haven't played the other Souls games, but it's like the world is more cohesive. Yeah, it is. And I think it's I think it's sort of like this weird sort of poish world. Yeah. Almost has a Castlevania type yeah. vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a-okay with me. So, yeah, it does have a kind of Metroidvania kind of yeah. structure to the way that you go vertically through places and then you also find that all the places connect in these kind of interesting ways. I think that's what's interests me the most are the environments and like the creatures and stuff. Oh, yeah. I think they've, they've got the best creature guys in the biz. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. Super scary. Really interesting. The encounter design is just really good. Super good. What do you think makes people like want to keep playing that game? Because it's such a like... I mean, because they want to... I mean, I don't know hard about power. people, but for me, I want to see what's... Um, what the environment is next and that kind of stuff and what kind of scary stuff they're going to throw at me. Right. So, yeah, and I love that they, I love the way they handle their narrative too. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's just like very, it's open and there if you want to look hard for it. Yeah. But if you don't care about that, that is no problem. Mm-hmm. It's not going to force you to sit through a bunch of nonsense right. if you're not interested in that. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, they've kind of got that down to an art at this point. They did that with all their games. But anyways, yeah. It's, it's interesting that the games, like, obscurity is almost, like, designed in there because they know there's a fan base that's going to just, like... Yeah. Certainly with this there is, but, you know, that wasn't probably the case with Demon Souls, mm-hmm. which, you know, was a sleeper hit. Right. That may be one of the reasons why. And I, it's been years since I looked at that game, so I don't remember to what extent they buried the narrative, but I think they did um, in that one, too. And I know they did in Dark Souls. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the answers are not usually what's fun 
about a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's it's the question. Right. And that's why I think back on why what I enjoyed about Lost and I can't even remember most of what the answers to the mysteries were, but I remember the mysteries which I think I might get to I might be at the point where like like I'm looking into getting a Nintendo DS and Animal Crossing just because I need something to like chill me out as yeah. you're playing that game. Yeah. Um yeah, I can see that. It can be pretty pretty harrowing. Yeah. But I like that it's willing to go for that. Right. Sort of make you come to it. Yeah. It's not a... I wouldn't call it like an accessible game or even... Definitely not for everyone. Some people play it and they're just like, I don't get it. You fight the same stuff and you die. And it's like, well, yeah. I think it is... I don't think it's inaccessible. I just think it's it's a different... It's coming from a different place. Um than what the trends have been in recent years. Yeah. About lowering barriers to entry and requiring less familiarity and right. these kinds of things. So I I don't know. I I find it pretty refreshing to see like a triple A title that is just kind of mystifying. I can't think of one like it's made me feel that way. I don't right. know. Yeah. The last one that had a world that I liked that much was probably Dishonored or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I hope they keep making those games forever. So I'll keep playing them. So, cool. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can wrap it up here if you want. Yeah, that sounds good. What? Uh, plug your stuff, like Twitter and all that. Stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you can follow White Whale Games on. Our, our company at White Will Games and me at George Royer on Twitter and Monster Cards will be available for purchase on Amazon soon and um, we'll see how long the stock we have lasts. Cool. So, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Yeah.